National Holocaust Remembrance Day. Dr. Johnny Teague joining us as the author of The Lost Diary of Anne Frank. And we're glad to be able to connect with you, Johnny. What what in your heart, in your story, made you pursue Anne Frank's story? Thank you for asking that. I, I, of course, we read her story when we were kids in school, and we were so moved by it. For whatever reason, it made a greater impact on me than my classmates. I, I, I read it several times, and I, I made this commitment to myself that I would go to the Anne Frank house when I was able, when I got older. I would go through Auschwitz. I wanted to learn so much about these horrific things that the Jewish people faced. I've brought up in church. I'm a pastor. And so God's always kind of brought that to me. And by God's grace, I was able to make the trip to keep my commitment. And I actually have been asked which three times. Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest thing that captured me was the day that I got locked in Auschwitz. I got there and they locked me in uh, for the night. And uh, it was then that it really bore down on me uh, what this means. Wow. In addition to having that experience and all the research that you did, was there something unique that you learned or was it maybe that experience that showed you or taught you something? What was the biggest I guess, light bulb moment of writing this book and preparing for that. Brother Steve, it was actually being there. It was Mm -hmm. when they locked me and I got so uh, wrapped up. I got to the back of Auschwitz. I was down where the, um, where the crematory was, where they were putting the ashes of of millions of people. And I sat there just devastated. And it was my third trip. For some reason, it just hit me. And then darkness began to fall. I noticed nobody was there. And I thought, man, I better get out of here. And so I went all the way back to that infamous gate where you enter Auschwitz and they had locked me in. I had banged on the guard tower, hoping somebody was there. No one answered. I walked the perimeter looking for a way out. Couldn't find a way out. It was getting cold. And, um, Finally, after about three or four hours, I went back to the guard tower because I saw a light and I began to bang again. And I heard the heavy boots of a Polish soldier and he came down. He didn't speak English. I didn't speak Polish, but he let me out. And it was at that moment I just and it was such a just not even a fraction of what Anne Frank and and so many of our Jewish um, friends and families face. But it was then I thought, you know what? We need to tell the rest of Anne's story. We know about her in the annex, but very few have really followed her day-to-day life uh, in Auschwitz and Bergen-Belsen. So you answered my question, was that on purpose? But it sounds like you just happened to be in the camp when the gates got locked. I can only imagine (laughs) what that must have been like. But the impact that it has made on you and to continue to tell Anne Frank's story. She quit writing in her diary August 1st, 1944. What was the first thing, before we take a little bit of a break, what was the first thing you learned about the days after August 1st, 1944? Well, I was blessed to interview a lot of Holocaust survivors who kind of followed the same path that she took. And I guess the biggest takeaway at the very start was when they were they were taken down to be interrogated. Everything they had was left back at their house or, or the annex. Every every possession, 
everything they treasured. And, and I, I honestly, when I was here back in my study doing some work, I look around my study here and I have awards and family pictures and uh, degrees and all these other things and things that I cherish. And I thought how horrible it would be to be drug out of my home with only the clothes on my back, not knowing what the future would hold and literally being divorced from everything that made you who you are. And, and, and to understand the depth of that, I think that was the very first impact that just really resonated with me when I thought about uh, August 4th, when Anne and her family were arrested. Hmm. Talking with uh, Dr. Johnny Teague this morning. He is an author, historian. He has uh, written a number of books, uh, interviewed a number of people. We're talking about the book, The Diary, the Lost Diary of Anne Frank, and we want to connect you with him and with this book. And so we're going to put the link on our Facebook page. The conversation continues in three minutes on Moody Radio. Don and Steve of the Morning on the air, thanks to support from Nova Hearing, located in Middle Tennessee. They're committed to helping people hear better with their customized hearing solutions for each individual. More information at 615-505-1990. That's 615-505-1990. It is 30 degrees right now, partly cloudy, but those uh, clouds should start rolling out of here and burning off within the next hour or so. Sunny conditions expected right around 9 o'clock. And uh, the temps are going to start to climb at that time as well. We're expecting a high of 52 with sunshine. Tomorrow, mix of sun and clouds with a high of 56. On Sunday, a 90% chance of rain with a high of 49. You're listening to 91.7 FM, 98.7 FM, AM 1200. This is Moody Radio National. Thanks for making Don and Steve a part of your Friday morning. If you want to see some of the interviews that we're doing, go to our YouTube channel. On YouTube, just look for Don and Steve. Thanks for listening. Talking this morning with Dr. Johnny Teague. He's an author, historian, pastor. He's written uh, books. And we're talking this morning about the book, The Lost Diary of Anne Frank. This is uh, Holocaust Remembrance Day. And as we uh, kind of unpack Anne's story, Johnny, one of the things that you wanted to do was kind of learn, okay, what happened once the writing in the diary stopped? And so uh, what do you believe happened to Anne after she and her family were arrested? But thank you for asking that. And that, that's why we wrote the book. Everybody knows that she, she and her sister and her mom were, were, died in Auschwitz and Bergen-Belsen. But, but no one has really looked at what were the day-to-day things that she faced. And so mm-hmm. I began to do research. We know very well not only what happened to Anne, we know the dates in which she was moved from one site to another. So when they were taken from the annex and arrested, um, they were taken down to an interrogation place uh, in their town. And then after that, they were shipped out to a transit camp called Westerbork. And there, the and they were in the punishment barracks because they had hidden. Mm-hmm. And there they were having to do battery uh, destruction as a part of helping the Nazi war effort. And then after that, they were shipped off to Auschwitz. Uh, Anne and her sister and her mom were separated from her dad. Uh, they assumed that Otto, her dad, had been killed immediately. They believed she, he was never of real good health. They just knew that he would have been uh, marked uh, for the gas chamber. And so they stayed in Auschwitz for a while. And then Anne and Margot were transferred to Bergen-Belsen, and that's where they both died of typhus. 
Uh, the only really date that we're not real sure of is what was the actual date of their deaths. We know it was around February or March of 1945. With research, we tried to hone in on a more accurate account. Thankfully, her best friend was at Bergen-Belsen. And so from there, we have a little bit better idea of what Anne's state of mind was and also a little bit better idea of, of when she died. It's so hard to process, even as we have a Remembrance Day and look back on what happened. And Dr. Johnny, what about evil did you learn as you researched all of this with Anne's life and so many others? I tell you what, evil, what I found is evil is never uh, satisfied. Uh, That Mm. uh, hunger that evil has, that appetite is never satiated. And just when we think Things couldn't get more evil, they get even more evil. And Anne found herself literally in the grinding gears uh, of the the depth or the or the depravity of humanity. And the thing that grieves me today is that we see that going on still around our world. We would like to think that it ended with the Holocaust, but it didn't end. It just it just changed its persona. It just changed locations. And as we're seeing in our world today, there's less and less of respect for our life. Uh, we see it in Canada. We see it uh, across the globe where humanity is only worth what man can give to other men, what utility we can get out of a life. And once a life isn't useful, uh, it's just draining resources. And that's kind of what the evolutionary thought pushes us towards. So I, I, I don't think we can ever really plumb the depth that humanity can go. And that's when we need God. That's yeah. when we need yeah. his word. That's when we need to trust him and let him transform us from what we could be. That's a, a good word. And, you know, as we think about Anne, I understand she didn't blame God for her plight. You uh, talk a little bit uh, about that, and you know, there's a great uh, a thing I think we can learn from her. What what can we learn from Anne Frank about suffering and about forgiveness? Well, I love so much about Anne in Westerbark and Auschwitz and Bergen-Belsen. You're right; she never blamed God. She realized this isn't this isn't God doing this to us. It is the evil of man that's doing this to us. And the thing that I think really blessed me of Anne Frank's life was that even in Auschwitz, even in Bergen-Belsen, she wanted to reclaim that we are people, we are humans with life and love and likes and talents. And And I believe firmly Anne refused to be a number and Nazism and, and in the Holocaust, they would shave their heads, they put them in common clothes, they tattoo them, and they would call them by a number, not by name. And that made it easier for them to treat these people as if they were just animals, because they could make them all look alike in uniform. And I think that's the beauty of Anne Frank, that even as a young 14, 15-year-old girl, almost 16, uh, she was able to to say, hey, I'm Anne Frank. I'm the daughter of Otto and Edith. I have a sister named Margot. I like to ride. I've got best friends. Don't lose the the reality that I'm human and I'm a person you're doing this to. Wow. 
It's a a powerful story, and uh, as you've helped us kind of think through on this Holocaust Remembrance Day, the life and the the legacy of Anne Frank, you may want to uh, go a little bit deeper and pick up a copy of Johnny Teague's book, The Lost Diary of Anne Frank. We want to connect you with that, and so we've got the link on our Facebook page. Johnny, appreciate your time this morning. Yes. She brings the sparkle. He brings the chill. It's Friday. Hooray! With Dawn and Steve in the morning. (laughs) <laughs> and we are glad it is Friday and that you are with us this morning. It is done, Steve. If you want to join the conversation at any time, love for you to do that. 800-555-7898. That's 800-555-7898. Will you ever have a, a story, one of those things that happens to you in your life where you're like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that? Mm, yes. You do? Oh, yesterday, dude. Yeah? Yesterday. But... Can I ask you if the the photo I received from your wife yesterday has anything to do with a story that you wished you hadn't done? Well, yes and no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, apparently you got a text message with a picture of an alarm clock. I did. And Susie and- said, hey, ask Steve what I'm about to do with this clock. The story behind what she affectionately calls your 1980s alarm clock. Yes. So I would love to know why she's ready to clock you. Well, a couple days ago, we had a power outage Uh at our house. Don't know what caused it, but we lost power in the middle of the night. Okay. And uh, I, I know that because all of a sudden when the power came on, some of the devices and whatever in the house started beeping, making noise, you know, like, hey, we're coming back on kind of thing. Woke up just enough to see my alarm clock next to my bed, which is like one of those old 1980s clock radio, big red numbers on there. I posted the photo on our Facebook page. Okay, so the photo's Mm -hmm. there. It's blinking 12. Sure. And so I'm like, okay, apparently we lost power and all the noise was it just coming back on. Fine, whatever. Don't think of it. And uh, the next... the next night, apparently at midnight, all of a sudden, burp, 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 <gasps> the alarm clock starts going uh, off. Because while I remembered no. to set the time, what I forgot was set the alarm. Oh, so dude. when I turned the alarm on, when I went to bed, because that's my backup alarm clock, when I turned the alarm on, never crossed my mind that, hey, you forgot to set the alarm. Those things so are it's obnoxious. going off at midnight. Uh-uh. And uh, so it goes off. I reach over and try to turn it off. And I, I make the thing go quiet because I hit the snooze button. Oh. So seven minutes later. That'd be 12.07 a.m. Uh-huh. Uh-uh. Guess what? Did it again. 12.14. Finally, at that <laughs> point, I'm like, oh, this is what's going on. I need to turn this thing off. You sleep heavy, my friend. I do. I do. Mm. Once I'm out, I'm out. Uh-huh. Usually, yeah. So... That is why Susie wanted to take that alarm clock uh, yes. and clock me with it. I can understand. Or rip it out of the wall, throw it out the bedroom window. But she's like, I didn't want to pay to <laughs> replace the window. So <laughs> thankfully. That was good restraint there, sis. She oh, was able to roll goodness. over and go back to sleep and Those uh, things laugh are about so obnoxious, dude. Yeah, that is loud in the middle of the night. Oh. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah. So you kind of wish you hadn't done that. Yeah. It's one of those... Uh, yeah, I, I kind of wish I had remembered to, number one, set the alarm correctly. Number two, that when it went off the first time at midnight. There it is, right there. Mm-hmm. Let's turn that thing off, not just hit the snooze button. <laughs> two more times. Two more times, <laughs> yep.
<laughs> yeah, I, I think I'm with Susie on this one. You think so? I yes, and I did post that photo of the 1980s alarm clock there on on the uh, on our Facebook page, just so you'd be able to see it too. I will say that friends are saying, "Hey, I've got one like that. I, hey, right? Why throw it out? It still works." Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh huh. I wear glasses. And it's big enough that during the middle of the mm. night, if I wake up, roll over, look at it, I can tell what time it is okay. without having to put my glasses on. So I'm going to keep that thing until it dies. They don't build them like they used to, you know. It, this is true. So that's the question for you. Is there something that you wished you hadn't done? I wished I hadn't done that. I've got I've got a story for you, Steve Hiller, of yesterday and what happened that I just can't take back, and I so want to. <laughs> well, we're going to find out about that in just a moment. Do you have a story this morning? Love to know, 800-555-7898. That's 800-555-7898. You can call or text. All right, so we're talking about those uh, little stories, those moments where mm-hmm. you're like, ah, wish I hadn't done that. Mm-hmm. You got mm-hmm. one of those you're willing to share this morning? You can call or text in 800-555-7898. That's 800-555-7898. I just shared mine a few moments ago related to an alarm clock going off at midnight way too many times. But you said that you have one of those that just happened yesterday. What happened? One that I wish I didn't have to tell (laughs) you. I went to the grocery store yesterday. Right next to the grocery store is the pet store or Pepper May goes to be groomed, and we get her treats there. She can only have one kind of treat because her tummy is so sensitive. It's just the way she's made. I realize we're getting low on treats. I'm right there, and I'm thinking, no, don't go. Yes, you have to know the way I have to talk myself into doing errands sometimes. I go ahead and walk on in there. There are two bags. I grab them both because sometimes these little treats are hard to find. I turn around to go to the counter. There's a young man standing there. I don't know, between 18 and 20. Hard to tell. What I really noticed about him was that he was wearing a Kentucky T-shirt. So I take my little self and my little bags of treats to the counter. And I said, oh, Kentucky T-shirt. I guess I'll let you check me out. (laughs) I died inside. (laughs) I was trying my hardest to to nuance the tone in my voice to bring it the way I intended it. But the longer it was coming out of my mouth, friend, I just kept thinking this is not laying, this is not gonna lay in. Oh, what I was trying to say and what's coming out is not at all. And so as soon as it's out of my mouth, I'm like dying. And I'm thinking, okay, how can I fix this? Uh-huh. Because I don't want him to think that I'm propositioning him. I'm so not. And so I'm like, okay, there's really nothing you can say right now to fix this other than he goes, oh, like didn't play into it at all. And I said, yeah, my husband and I are from Kentucky. And I just quit talking. And he said, do you want a receipt? I'm like, no, sir, I'm good, thanks. And and I don't even, like, I'm out the door. I'm not looking at him anymore. I am just grabbing the bag and headed out trying to save what, if I had any dignity that left. That is hilarious. Oh, I, I just was mortified. So I know the mascot for Kentucky or the Wildcats. It's not an actual cougar, is it? Oh, hush your mouth. <laughs> that is so not, not the case. 
face. But how embarrassing is that? that you try to be cute, <laughs> quippy, and clever, and it's like, oh, man. Did he, I'm just trying to picture this 18-year uh, to 20-year-old kid standing there. Like, did he just, any reaction at all? Just kind of like, okay, he, I, don't, I don't know what to do right now. Totally. Okay. He had no reaction, and for which I was really glad. Yeah. But I just wanted to say, oh, I didn't. I didn't mean that like it sounded <laughs> at all. And no, you see, see, I'm at the checkout counter, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> then you start expl- over explaining oh, to them. Oh, you didn't yes. do that. No, just, uh, no. Yep. I, I my brain shut down. I could yeah. not think of how to fix the mess. And normally, I'm pretty good at going. Oh, I just call myself out. Yeah. But I just. Yeah. At that one, nothing. it's just like, I got nothing. Get my stuff and run. Yeah, please yep. just get me out of here. And you know what I've noticed about this store is that it seems like there's a fair amount of turnover. So I'm just going to wait a so few So you're not going to go for a while. I'll go back when I think that maybe the staff has changed. Ben and Hannah Ben and Hannah, while, right? they yep. can go get the treats for sure. Or or I'll go in with Ben and, and hook into his arm and just, you know, hey, honey. Uh-huh. Oh my goodness! I was so embarrassed. I was so embarrassed. I did you turn? I bet you turned as bright pink as that sweater you have on on this Friday morning. I I tried. It, I'm actually more flush telling the story that I was in the, in the moment because all I could think was run away, get away, get away, get away. <laughs> and that is what I did. <laughs> well, definitely one of those. Oh, wish I hadn't done that oh, for sure. or said that moments. Do you have one that uh, you want to are willing to share with us on this Friday morning? <laughs> 800-555-7898. That's 800-555-7898. We've all done it, right? Yours Ooh. was in a store <laughs> buying yeah. dog treats. Mm. Mine related to alarm an alarm clock. What about you? 800-555-7898. To call or text. Or you can leave your story on our Facebook page, Don and Steve in the Morning.